Let's pray. Finisher of our faith, humble us with grace that we might entrust ourselves to your perfect love. Hold me up, God, that I might lift you up. Amen. A number of people reached out to me a couple of weeks ago after I published an article in the weekly churchwide email. It was the article that began with me asking my family what their New Year's resolution was. If you read the article, you know that my question was met by eye rolls and groans and gnashing of teeth because my family knows that I have a tendency every year to resolve to well, pretty much perfection. So I completely stress my family out with chore charts and eating plans and budgets for the whole first month of every single year until my resolve slowly unravels and life can, begin, and life can return to normal. And they were not gonna have any of it this year. Not even pretend support from anybody. Y'all, I'm a mess, and there is absolutely no way around it. You know, just this past week, your pastor called a member of this church, and when the person who I expected to answer didn't answer, you know what I said? Not what you'd expect. Not what a sane person would say. On my better days, I would have said, hello, this is Pastor Tracy. I'm trying to reach so-and-so. Are they at this number? Oh, I said, who's this? <laughs> Who does that? What is wrong with me? Y'all, your pastor is a huge mess. Last week I talked about how the world is messy and relationships are messy, how life is messy, and sometimes we are a mess. And we talked about how we often let our messiness, we let our struggles and our shortcomings and our failures define us. And then we compare about how we feel about ourselves on the inside to idealized notions of how we see other people on the outside, people who we consider to be spiritual people. And we oftentimes fall very short in the comparison well, today we're talking about how we respond to our perceived spiritual failure. Oftentimes, we either just throw up our hands and give up, or sometimes we decide that we are going to master spirituality. Either way, we end up sabotaging ourselves. My New Year's resolutions also include spiritual practices. I have a tendency each year to recommit to rigidly scheduled daily, weekly, monthly, yearly spiritual practices. And I set myself up for failure almost every single time. Benjamin Riggs is a teacher and student of contemplative spirituality and he writes, perfectionism can easily be mistaken for spirituality. In a flash, the whole path is reduced down to a checklist a host of ideals that I must become. 
The spiritual life then seems to be laced with guilt and shame since we can never measure up to the standards that we've imposed upon ourselves. Spiritual perfectionists. That's what we become. We try so hard to practice spirituality perfectly and we end up so worn out by our efforts and discouraged by our failures that the next thing you know, we're burned out believers. There have been times in my life when I have been lucky enough to be able to hire people to come and clean my house. It's fabulous. I love coming home to a sparkly house. But having people come clean your house, turns out it's a lot more work than you might imagine. I spend hours cleaning up for the maid because I don't want them to see my mess. I mean, what in the world are they going to think if they walk into a dirty house? We can get that way with God too. We can refuse to come to God exactly as we are. We want to be perfect first. Or we think we need to be perfect in order for God to love us. So we try to fix ourselves. It's like this mirror on the table. Diana tried to fix that mirror. You can see her efforts. She took some duct tape and she tried to prop it up a little bit more. I don't know that it looks much better. Maybe it's a little bit more functional, but my guess is it's not fooling anybody. That mirror is shattered. There's a hole in the top left corner. That's why it's collapsed back on itself. Diana did what she could to try and restore it, but it is not enough. Not if what we're shooting for is perfection. If it has to be perfect, we're out of luck because it ain't gonna happen. If we have to be perfect in order to be in relationship with Jesus, we're out of luck. You know, there must have been some spiritual perfectionists among those that the writer of Hebrews was addressing because he makes it absolutely clear. We cannot make ourselves perfect. Instead, he urges, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or the finisher of our faith, depending on which translation you look at. Michael Iaconelli, the author of the book that this sermon series is based on, Messy Spirituality, says, spirituality isn't about being finished or perfect. It's about trusting God in our unfinishedness. Yet rather than trust God, rather than ask for help from the only one who can finish us or fix us, we make futile attempts to fix ourselves. Or we pretend that we're not broken. One of the great American narratives that we emphasize is individualism. We don't need any help. You certainly shouldn't ask for help because it might inconvenience someone. It might disturb them or interrupt them. But if Jesus is our perfecter, if Jesus is our finisher, we need his help. I want you to listen to this story from the Gospel of Luke about a man who knew this very well. And he wasn't shy at all about asking for help. He was determined 
that he was going to get Jesus' attention. Listen to this. He, that is Jesus, came to the outskirts of Jericho. A blind man was sitting beside the road asking for handouts. When he heard the rustle of the crowd, he asked what was going on, and they told him, Jesus, the Nazarene, is going by. He yelled, Jesus, son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Those ahead of Jesus told the man to shut up, but he only yelled all the louder, son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered him to be brought over. When he had come near, Jesus asked, what do you want from me? He said, Master, I want to see again. Jesus said, go ahead, see again. Your faith has saved and healed you. The healing was instant. He looked up, seeing, and then followed Jesus, glorifying God. And everyone in the street joined in, shouting praise to God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. <laughs> So Jesus is on the outskirts of Jericho. We don't know exactly why. Maybe he's on the outskirts because the leper in our scripture last week outed him by blabbing to everybody about the fact that Jesus had touched him. Regardless, Jesus is traveling through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. And he has just told his disciples in the scripture leading up to our reading today that they're headed to Jerusalem because all that the scripture says will happen to the Son of Man is getting ready to take place. Jesus will be handed over to the Romans, humiliated, tortured, killed, and then he'll rise again. He lays it all out, reveals who he is. But the disciples can't see it, they're confused. And of course, none of them want to ask for help. They don't want to admit their ignorance. They're probably like me. They're sitting there thinking, I don't want everyone to know how stupid I am. Surely they all get it. Meanwhile, there's this blind man sitting on the side of the road, and he's begging. When he starts to hear a lot of commotion, so he asks, hey, what's going on? It's Jesus of Nazareth, they say. Well, I guess he's heard of Jesus because he immediately starts to yell, Jesus! Son of David, mercy, have mercy on me. He recognizes him for who he is, the one who can heal him. Everyone around him tries to silence him. They say, shh, don't disturb Jesus. He's on a very important mission. He cannot be delayed. You're making a scene. Stop making everyone feel so awkward. Well, the blind man, he's not having any of it. He could care less what others think. He is not the least bit concerned about living up to any ideals or any notions of perfect expressions of spirituality. The only thing the blind man cares about is connecting with Jesus. That's it. But the crowd is determined to silence him. It happens. The crowd will try to silence you. Especially 
if your expression of faith makes somebody uncomfortable or disturbs them or challenges them, if it's too loud, they'll try to silence you or they'll call you crazy. Jesus' critics tried to silence him. They accused him of doing God all wrong. I mean, he went to the wrong places. He hung out with the wrong people. He said the wrong things. He interpreted scripture wrong. He practiced Sabbath completely wrong. And he let all the wrong people into the kingdom. Where would our hope lie if Jesus had chosen to perform perfect spirituality rather than embrace the messiness inherent in authentic spirituality. I am so grateful that Jesus refused to be silenced. And so did the blind man. He refused to be quiet. He just got louder and louder, yelling at the top of his lungs, Jesus! Mercy! Have mercy on me! Finally, Jesus hears him and he stops in his tracks. And he asks that the blind man be brought to him. And he heals him. Gives him back his sight. The blind man pursues his imperfect spirituality relentlessly. Even at the risk of making other people uncomfortable at the risk of making a pest of himself, at the risk of being embarrassed. He knows that he and his expression of spirituality are messy and he is completely unapologetic. And despite his blindness, he is the one who sees Jesus for who he is. And upon being healed, he immediately begins to follow him. And here's the really cool thing. Everyone in the street joined in, Scripture says. All those people who were trying to silence him, suddenly they're inspired and they're following Jesus too. When we ignore all those critical voices, both inside us and outside of us, when we ignore them and we choose to pursue Jesus anyway, we inspire others to do the same. It's contagious. People are so relieved to discover that they can just be who they are and call themselves spiritual. Many of those who reached out to me about the article that I wrote about New Year's resolutions, said that they liked the article because they felt like I had articulated what they, and they suspect many others, experience and feel, but might not be willing to say out loud. And the thing is, is in that article, I did not land on my ability to be perfect. I landed on a promise that we're given in Lamentations of God's endless and steadfast love and eternal mercy, a mercy that Lamentations says is brand new every single morning. 
I rely very heavily on that mercy. When we are willing to be real, when we're willing to share our messiness with others, we give them permission to do the same. So we're not going to try and clean up for God anymore. We are not going to wear ourselves out being spiritual perfectionists. That is not an authentic or a helpful witness. The blind man helps us see the real Jesus, the one who perfects our faith. And he calls us to pursue God with our real selves right now, just as we are, calls us to cry out loudly and unapologetically to the only one who can make us whole. I want us to practice that right now. We are going to cry out to Jesus by praying together. I want to start out by taking just a minute for us to turn to somebody we're sitting near. And if you have to move to get near somebody, I want you to introduce yourself to the person if you don't already know them. And I want you to share with them a little bit of your messiness. What is one thing they can pray for you about in the coming week? Let's take just a minute to do that and then we'll continue. Y'all are good at this. You're really sharing. I love hearing all of this. Take just another few seconds to finish up and then we'll pray together. Okay, we're going to pray together using the prayer that's going to come up on the screen in just a second. I know there's lots of flu going around, so don't feel compelled to touch one another. But if you think you're healthy and you want to hold your neighbor's hand, you can do that. But let's pray together this prayer. Oh God, I am so fragile. My dreams get broken, my relationships get broken, my heart gets broken, my body gets broken. What can I believe except that you will not despise a broken heart? What can I believe except what Jesus taught, that only what is first broken, like bread, can be shared, that only what is broken is open to your entry? So I believe, help my unbelief, that I may have courage to entrust my brokenness to you and embrace love's risks. Amen.